Will you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5, Hebrews 5. Our church family is celebrating and is great, greatly thankful for the safe arrival of yet another baby to our, what we call, family of families, that is our church. Little Max Robert Doberton was born early Thursday morning, and we thank the Lord that all are doing well. Over the next four months, we have at least four more families who are expecting. I say at least because there's always a couple who are just waiting to make the announcement. But at least four who have already done that. And that follows a long list of babies to come into our church in the last few years. The birth of a child is the culmination of a months-long process that began with conception, continued with development in the womb, ended with the blessed debut of the little one at birth. And if things are done as they should be, that baby will become intimately familiar with those who, from a human standpoint, gave him or her their very life. The baby will come to know its parents' voices, even while in the womb, and come to see the parents as their caring, nurturing guardians. Gifts from God to that child for his or her well-being, for their good. And because they love the parents, and they love what you represent for them, they'll reciprocate that love and appreciate you such that they'll obey because they know that you know best and have their best interest in mind. They wouldn't think of disobeying because they know your heart and your intentions, and they hear your voice as the voice of wisdom, as a gift that they forsake only at their own peril. Now, does it always go that way? That is as it should be, but not often the way it is, because something happens in the developmental process. They become exposed to other options and other voices, and that they find that their hearts are strangely pulled in other directions, alternatives. Attractive alternatives, attractive by design, present themselves. And they are faced with the decision to heed those voices, follow those directions, or go in the direction that you have lovingly laid out for them. And to the extent that they heed contrary voices and follow divergent paths, the wisdom of their parents will seem all the more foolish. The ears that were once keen to hear and understand and obey are now muted to the sound of the voice that they heard in the womb and cherished as a child. This can and does happen in the natural realm. Though it does not have to. It does and often. It is a danger. And it can and does happen in the spiritual realm too, though it need not be inevitable as we will see. Nevertheless, it is a clear and present danger for every one of us. You see, friends, the Bible compares our relationship with God as that of one born into his family and one who is supposed to grow as his child. The Bible tells us that we have been born again. It uses the birth terminology. That we've been born from above, born spiritually when we come to Jesus. In the case of our spiritual life, the conception and the birth happen at the same time. They happen when one hears the word of God 
And the seed of truth is implanted in his or her heart. And he cries out to God as a child for his father. And conversion occurs. We have been then born from above, born again, saved, converted. And that's why the Bible says things like this. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable. Through what? The living and enduring word of God. The Bible tells us in James chapter 1, He, God, chose to give us birth through what? The word of truth. And then James says, because that's true now, humbly accept, humbly receive the word that has been planted in you. So when you come to Christ at salvation, when you were given spiritual birth, when you were saved, it was because there was an implantation of a life-giving seed to a receptive heart. And you became a child of God by the work of the Word of God. The voice of God contained in the Bible was life-giving and it was life-changing for you. You knew the voice of your father as the voice of one who is all-wise and all-loving and all-powerful and all-knowing. And you desired what he had to say more than the voice of a million other people. You came to his word. You came to his word knowing that his word is what you needed at all times. And you desired his word beyond all things. And so you came to him requesting and receiving his assistance from the Word of God. But something happened. Something happened along the way in what should have been the developmental process of your coming to Christ. Just like in the natural process of a child knowing the voice of his or her father, you came to Christ loving His voice, loving His Word, and then you heard other voices. And then you were given other options. And then the voice became faint. In some cases, the voice became even foolish. You still come to church. But we're dull of hearing as we're going to see in God's Word. It doesn't have the same spark. You're spiritually alive if you've come to Jesus. But barely. And you feel it. And you know it. What happened? Did his word change? Who changed in that process? The answer is obvious, isn't it? Instead of growing and developing in him as our children should with us, we desired to go a different direction and follow different voices. We still come, we still go through the motions, but it's just muttering through the words. And here's what the Bible has to say then to us in Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. We have much to say to you, 
But it's hard to explain because, here's why, you are slow to learn. In fact, verse 12, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. So what has happened along the way? What has arrested the development of our spiritual growth? What has, in the title of the message that's on the outline that we have inserted in your program, has stunted our spiritual growth? And the stunting of spiritual growth is so serious because, unlike in the physical realm, where the analogy breaks down, that child who wanders from the voice of his father and mother, that child will continue to grow physically. But if you wander from the voice of your God, you will not only cease to grow spiritually, you will regress, you will retard in the progress that was intended for you. You will find yourself in a place you never dreamed you could be. Going through the motions, hearing, but not seeing, not doing, not obeying. And so I want us to see together that we are warned by the writer of Hebrews that we must, we must, friends, avoid the cause Excuse me, we must know the danger first of spiritual immaturity. It's a clear and it's a present danger for every one of us. And so the Bible tells us, Peter, who told us that we were born not of perishable seed but of imperishable seeds, he goes on in the next chapter to say this, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. The writer of Hebrews says this is a real danger that we must be aware of for every last one of us. Verse 11, I, the writer of Hebrews, have much to say to you about this. About what? In the first ten verses of Hebrews chapter 5, he has made a marvelous, a compelling, a rich analogy between Christ and the ministry of one who came in the first part of your Bible, one named Melchizedek. But it's a deep teaching. It's a teaching with many strands to it. It's a teaching that, in order to understand, one must be intimately familiar with his Bible. The folks who were receiving this letter should have been such people. They should have known their Bible. They should have been able to understand this deep teaching about righteousness and about Christ and comparing it to this one named Melchizedek. We have much to say, verse 11, about this teaching. But it's hard to explain, particularly hard to explain to you, because, notice, verse 11, you are slow to learn. And the word slow to learn means literally dull of hearing. And it says, literally, you are not just are slow to learn, dull of hearing, but you have become dull of hearing, slow to learn. You've become that way, suggesting that you've not always been that way. There was a time when you came eager and receptive to the Word of God. But you have become something that you were not. And you are not intended to be. You are dull of hearing. The word that's translated dull or slow was used of animals that had an injured limb that had lost its nerve feeling. 
And so that, that limb no longer would respond to impulses from the brain. It's dull. It's slow. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, you have become that way. Now when you have the impetus of the Word of God, this marvelous vehicle that gave you life to begin with and is to sustain your life moving forward, now when you hear the Word of God, instead of an excitement and a receptivity, there is a, been there, done that. Yada, yada, yada. How long does this go anyway? Does he prattle on like this every week? Slow, dull of hearing. You become that way. Now, why did it happen? Well, there are a number of reasons that it happens. Let me give you some. There are cultural reasons that we, in particular, have a problem having sustained listening, hearing, and obeying of the Word of God. We have a particular cultural problem with that. The cultural problem is that we have grown up, most of us now, in a time where people no longer know how to engage in sustained reflection on anything, including the Bible. You watch TV. You have half-hour programs. A 30-minute program really only has 22 minutes. It has eight minutes of commercials. It has those commercials interspersed. Your mind culturally has become conditioned to commercials. You can listen for about eight minutes of me. By the way, I guess I'm about done for most of you. Or anybody else for that matter. And then it's switched the channel. Another commercial. Something. And so our churches now are trying to accommodate that. See, people want somebody with some pizzazz. You want somebody with pizzazz, you probably already gathered you're at the wrong place. You know, so we got to sing and dance and pop in order to keep people's attention. One of them is a cultural thing. It's just hard for us. Another one is a clerical thing, a ministerial thing, a pastoral thing. And I have to admit that those of us who have been given the responsibility of standing week after week and giving the Word of God, need to do our very best to do it in a way that keeps your attention for as long as we can despite the cultural issues. And so we need to make it clear and cogent and logical and even interesting as best we can. And so I have to work at that week after week. You all know the saying that says, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're really good. I have no such problem. I come by my humility honestly. I have great reason to be humble about this. I have no illusions about my own abilities. I do know my responsibilities. To do my level best before God. To bring His Word to you as clearly, as accurately, and as relevantly as I can week after week. You have my promise that I am and I will continue to try to do that. But I say to you, and I say to this to you as honestly as I can, if I am not someone that you can listen to week after week to hear the Word of God, then you need to have someone that you can. I, I mean that. I would rather 
that you be with some man of God who gives you the word of God in a way that it changes your life. But there's a clerical issue, and that's a responsibility that I have. But you know the most important issue is the third one. It's not just the cultural issue or the pastoral, clerical, ministerial issue. It is a spiritual issue. Receptivity to the Word of God in the Word of God itself is always a spiritual issue. The question is really not so much how good is the preacher. The question is really how good is my preparation? Do I come anticipating hearing the truth of God? Do I desire it beyond anything else in this world? Do I desire it like a baby desires milk to be fed and to grow? It's a spiritual issue. A spiritual issue that each of us must ask ourselves where we are with regard to our spiritual priorities and the hearing of the word of God. Jesus said this, whoever has will be given more. And he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. And they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Throughout the Word of God, a failure to be enthused, ready to hear the Word of God, is always a spiritual heart problem. Hear this. In Scripture, the ear is always connected directly to the heart. Our ears are connected to our hearts. What we're willing to hear and then turn, listen to and obey is a matter of the condition of our hearts. Friends, we must know the danger of spiritual immaturity. It is clear and present for every last one of us. And those of us who have had the word of God as a gift to us over many years can very easily become accustomed to saying it's the same routine. The word of God is not just the same routine. It's the voice of the one who gave you life and who desires to sustain your life through his word. You know, in times past, folks took this very, very seriously. Let me give you a couple of examples of what folks would do because they understood that the word of God was so important and therefore were willing to put the work necessary into understanding it and applying it to their lives. An author named Weber wrote a massive three-volume history of preaching in Britain and America. And he talks about one of the curious byproducts of the great awakening of the 18th century. And that byproduct was that there was a sudden interest in people learning shorthand. Notice what he said. Men and women studied shorthand in order that they might take down the sermons that were stirring the English-speaking countries. This had happened once before in Scotland, and it made its appearance once more in all countries where the influence of the awakening was felt. 
It was not at all unusual to see men with a portable inkwell strapped about them and a quill pen over an ear hastening to join the throng assembling on the village green to hear the word of God preached. People were diligently saying, how can I take down the word of God? But as that newness all died down, so did that listening. And so just as the Hebrews centuries before, as with so many in our churches today, and to such people it's hard to explain the deep and needful truths and doctrines of Scripture. The Puritan pastor Richard Baxter, he wrote a book called The Reformed Pastor that I read many years ago. It was a great help to me. But he wrote another little volume called this, Directions for Profitably Hearing the Word Preached. And he gave this wise advice to all Christians. Make it your work with diligence to apply the word as you are hearing it. Cast not all upon the minister as those that will go no further than they are carried as by force. You have work to do as well as the preacher. And should all the time be as busy as he. You must open your mouths and digest it, for another cannot digest it for you. Therefore, be all the while at work, and abhor an idle heart in hearing, as well as an idle minister. Friends, we come at this together. I come with my responsibility. You come with your responsibility. Please understand, know that there is the clear and present danger of spiritual immaturity because we no longer desire to ingest and digest the Word of God. Notice secondly in your notes, there's not only the danger, but we have to avoid the cause of spiritual immaturity as well. The end of verse 12 says this, You need milk, not solid food. Verse 13, Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Now, not acquainted with righteousness. In verses 1 through 10, he's attempted to teach them about this marvelous doctrine of the righteousness of God by giving this allusion to the Old Testament, an analogy with this one Melchizedek. But he says it's hard to explain because you're dull of hearing. You're slow to learn. And so, therefore, you are not acquainted with righteousness. What kind of righteousness? Let me explain as quickly as I can what's going on here. There are two kinds of righteousness in the Bible. There is what we would call positional righteousness. That is, they're saying that you you are not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness in terms of your position before God. Romans chapter 3 says this, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. You've come to believe, you have this new position before God, but you're not acquainted with, not intimately familiar with what that means. You now have a new position before God because the righteousness of Jesus has been applied to you when you come by faith to God through Him. So the perfect life of Jesus is now applied to Ken Brown and to anyone who comes believing who Jesus is and what he did for them. That's positional righteousness. It gives you a new identity. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, you don't live out of a sense of identity in Jesus. Because you've grown dull of hearing the word of God, 
You've forgotten your true position and identity in Jesus before God. And therefore, you don't live out of a proper sense of identity. Which then brings you to the second understanding of righteousness in the Bible. There's positional righteousness and then there is experiential righteousness. Because you don't live out of this sense of identity, you don't live rightly. You don't experience righteousness. You don't live the way God has said to live. Constantly in Scripture, you have these two categories of passages in the Bible. You'll often have a section called an indicative section of Scripture, where the passage is all about who we are in Christ. It's called indicative because all of the verbs are in the indicative mood in Greek, indicating what we are, pointing to who we are. And then, having told us who we are, what our identity is, what our position is, there's a second section. It's called the hortatory section. It's saying, based upon who you are, now this is what you do. This is how you live. And so you find in the book of Ephesians, for instance, six chapters, first three chapters, indicative, this is who you are. Now, the last three chapters, beginning in chapter 4, now live a life worthy of the calling that you have in Christ. Likewise in Galatians, likewise in Romans. On it goes. Indicative, hortatory, who you are, how you live, your position played out in your experience. Friends, we don't desire the Word of God Because we have come to a point where we're failing to live out the Word of God. And we're failing to live out the Word of God because we don't delight in who we are. Do you see the trail? I no longer desire. I'm dull of hearing. But here's why. Because I'm failing to live, as God says, experiential righteousness. But why am I failing to live as God says? Because I've forgotten who I am in Christ. And why have I forgotten who I am in Christ? Because I am not devouring, ingesting, and digesting His Word, which alone reminds me of who I am in Him. Do you want to desire God's Word? Do you want to anew desire God's Word the way you did as a newborn babe when you first came to Him? Remember who you are. And begin then doing consistent things those things that are consistent with who you are in Christ. You will love what God has to say about your position in Him. And you'll desire to carry out in your life experience actions that are consistent with who He has made you in Jesus. We must know the danger of spiritual immaturity. Avoid the cause of spiritual immaturity. Not being acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, our position in our experience, and then third in your outline. We must pursue the cure for spiritual immaturity. Verse 14. Solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. The word that's translated trained themselves, trained, is the word from which we get our English word gymnasium. It's an athletic term. 
Solid food is for the mature. How do they become mature? Because they've gone through disciplined training like an athlete in the gymnasium. The same word is used in 1 Timothy chapter 4 where Paul wrote to his protege Timothy and he uses the same word gumnas. We get gymnasium from it. Train yourself to be godly. You say, I don't know what kind of training I would need to go through. Let me offer you some suggestions. If I were concerned about being physically fit, which I obviously am not, but if I were, I would go to someone who has obviously been concerned about that. And I would ask them, what regimen do you go through in order to remain physically fit, to train? What disciplines do you use? I am concerned about remaining spiritually fit. And you have been blessed to have many people who, in God's grace, have not grown dull of hearing who engage in that, it's obvious in their lives that they understand their position in Jesus and they live it out in their experience in Jesus. I would recommend you seek to emulate them. I would recommend you go to them. Tell me what you do to stay enthused about the Word of God in your life and the spiritual disciplines that you have placed in your life. Further, I would avail myself of every opportunity given to be under the sound of the Word of God and to learn the Word of God. You have the happy circumstance of being in a church that does that every time we're together. We offer classes for you on Wednesday evenings for you to learn the Word of God. Those classes have homework for you to do during the week so that you're in the Word of God. We have resources available available for you on our resource table. I can recommend a book on just about anything you want under the sun to help you. And so, friends, you have to train. It requires work. It requires discipline. I would say follow the regimen of those who have done it for a long time. Avail yourself of the opportunities that are at hand for you to learn the Word of God and the resources that you can use in order to better learn the Word of God. What should you do? Train yourself. Hard work. Gumnas, like an athlete. And what are you training yourself to do? Verse 14. Solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to, now notice the word distinguish. That word distinguish is the word discern. By constant use, by this discipline training in the Word of God, you will learn to discern good from evil. And let me add, only by this constant training will you be able to discern good from evil. I'm amused and saddened very often when I have conversations with folks who are clearly immature in their walk with the Lord, perhaps only because of time, they're new babes in Christ, or maybe because they've grown dull of hearing, particularly those who are dull of hearing, as evidenced by their life, 
unacquainted with God's teaching about righteousness and evidence of that immaturity. And I have conversations, and some issue comes up. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody say, you know, I don't see anything wrong with that. And I'm thinking to myself, how could you possibly not see anything wrong with that, whatever it is? But you see, I know how. Because the only way we can discern, distinguish good from evil is if we are constantly exercising ourselves in the Word of God. And if we are not exercising ourselves in the Word of God, then we are open to every wind that blows, every opinion that's out there, to follow and conform to cultural standards rather than God's standards. Solid food is for the mature who consistently and constantly engage in the discipline of learning and applying the Word of God. The result is we're able to discern, distinguish. Here's what spiritual discernment is according to to the Bible. It's the divinely given ability to distinguish God's thoughts and ways from everybody and everything else. But where are you going to get God's thoughts? You get them one place, in the Word of God. Let me recommend a book to you. I told you we had resources. Let me recommend a book to you and then I'll conclude. There's a book by an author, John Piper, that many of you are familiar with. The title of the book is this, When I Don't Desire God. What to do when I don't desire God? What to do when I know I'm lethargic? I'm dead, deadening in my walk with Him. What do I do when I don't desire God? He has a number of helpful suggestions, particularly chapters 7 and 8 of that book are all about a focus upon the Word of God and the centrality of the Word of God to our desiring God and living for God. You say, where do I get that book? You can get it for free online. He actually makes them available in PDF form online. So here's what we're doing. We've got the free PDF. We're generous folks. And we're making the free PDF available to you for a small charge. No, for free. And the audio of this message, like all of our messages, will be posted on our website. And we're attaching the PDF of that book to the audio for this message. So by Tuesday, we have the audio up. We'll have the PDF there as well. And I encourage you to particularly read chapters 7 and 8 when I don't desire God. Friends, there is the danger of spiritual immaturity, that we become dull. And the issue is not primarily the preaching. The preaching might be bad. The preaching probably is bad. But that's not what the Scripture focuses on. The Scripture focuses upon the readiness of our hearts. The truth of the matter is, it is not my job to crank you up and to start you up. And you need to know now, By God's grace, I will never fall into that trap. I want to always see my responsibility as to give you God's word. And to not, now hear this, to not be a distraction to the truth of God's word. 
not be a distraction by being overly boring, but also not be a distraction by being overly entertaining. You know why? Because it ain't about me. It's about the Lord and His Word. And so there's the danger. And then there's the cause. Forgetting our identity in Christ. And then that plays out in the way we live or fail to live for Christ. What is the cure? The cure is the disciplines of grace that God has given us. Particularly the discipline of His grace in ingesting and digesting His Word. I read for you earlier, I showed you on the screen earlier, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. That tells us to desire the pure spiritual milk of the Word of God. The last part of that verse says this, Since you have tasted that the Lord is good. I conclude with this. That allusion, tasting that the Lord is good, is from a passage in the first part of your Bible, Psalm chapter 38, Psalm 38 and verse Psalm 34 and verse 8. Psalm 34 and verse 8 says this. Taste and see that the Lord is good. The word of God for the believer is a natural taste and it's an acquired taste. It's a natural taste because you were born again by the word of God planted in you. It's natural For those who have been born of the Word of God to desire the Word of God. It's a natural taste for us. It resonates with us. When God's minister stands up and preaches God's Word and says it's to be precious to you as I have today. If you're a believer in Jesus, that resonates with you. Yes, I need that. I want that. It's a natural taste. But it's also an acquired taste. It's one that the more you use it, the more you acquire an, you acquire an a, taste, a taste for it. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, desire the pure milk of the Word of God. We're going to bow and pray in just a moment. Friends, those of you that perhaps are here and have never come to Jesus Christ, have never heard, had the Word of God implanted in you so that you have been born again with new life from above, You have the opportunity to do that as we pray in just a moment. It means this, that you understand the truth of the Word of God God about who you are and about what He has done for you. And that you believe that and you want that. Who are you? You're a sinner. You have sinned against God in thought, in word, and in deed, as have I, as have all creatures. But you recognize who Jesus is and what he did for you. He died to pay the penalty for your sins. You repent of your sin. Not your sins, plural, but your sin. Because sin has all sorts of manifestations. You couldn't even count them all. You can't even identify them all. You repent of your sin. I'm a sinner and I've been going my own way. Repent means, Lord, I want to go your way. And you receive Jesus Christ into your life. And that's the word of God now being implanted in you, born from above. When we bow and pray in just a moment, you pray a prayer from your heart to God. It's not a formula. This is just a sample. Lord, I'm a sinner. I've been going my own way, not your way. But you've given me your instructions and your word. I want to follow you. I believe that Jesus, God, came as man to do for me what I couldn't do for myself. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. I ask you to save me, 
Take me, grow me in you. And for those of us who claim to know Jesus, but have grown dull in our hearing, we've become what we were not intended to be. Our development has been arrested. Our spiritual growth has been stunted. When we bow in just a moment, let's confess that to God. Let's commit to our God that by His grace, we're going to avail ourselves of the resources, those like I've talked about here, so that we can grow spiritually in Him, renew our enthusiasm for Him, and become what we were intended to be. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you for this sacred moment of being able to bow before you in the quietness of this time and this place where you have met with your people. We thank you for the truth of the word of God. We thank you for the impact that it has and is having on those with receptive hearts. Thank you, Lord, that it had the impact of saving us when we heard the good news of Jesus Christ contained in the good word of God. We thank you, Lord, for the excitement that so many of us can remember that we had for months and perhaps years after we first came to Jesus. But life happened. Things happened. Things attracted our attention. And we chose to follow them instead of you in your word. We find ourselves now dull of hearing. We find ourselves not acquainted with our identity and thus living out our identity in a righteous life. Oh, Lord God, grant us the grace of the disciplines of the Word of God and of prayer and the people of God. Help us to be people, Lord, who indeed by constant use train ourselves to distinguish what is best from what is evil. And Lord, I thank you that there there may indeed be folks in this group right now who have never come to you, but who are availing themselves right now of the opportunity. They're opening their hearts, a receptive heart, for the implantation of the Word of God and the conception now of new life in them. We thank you in advance for doing that in their hearts and what you're going to do in their lives. Lord Jesus, we love you because you first loved us. But Lord, we confess to you that our love grows weak, our love grows dim when we wander from you. Thank you, Lord God, for being faithful to us even when we are faithless. We ask you to forgive us, to restore us, and to even this week begin your renewed work in us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.